When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, Scott. Hey, Ben. Did you hear that? I did. Can you hear that? What yeah. Is it, what does it sound like? To uh, pinging? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, yeah. Would be, that would be radar. Oh, very good. Very because good. thanks to the magic of our... Uh, super producer Liz today, and uh, the fact that we're on the internet, no one can actually see us. Uh, we very well may be in a submarine. We're broadcasting live from a submarine. Live from a submarine. No, I'm lying. I mean, recorded in front of a live submarine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we're not. We're lying. Mm, we're sort of lying. Yeah, sort of. I yeah. can. We can neither confirm nor deny. You, you would really like to be on a submarine, though, wouldn't you? you yes. You found out that uh, you know through research, mm-hmm. you, you like this a lot, right? Yes, yes, sir. What, yes, uh, indeed. What's so intriguing? Uh, well, let's. Oh, you know what? Uh, okay, Scott. Let me just give you the, the quick and dirty. Here's what's intriguing. I don't want to put any spoilers out for what people are going to find out about in the course of this episode. Okay, so you're going to tease us. I want people to listen, and oh. I want people to just go, yeah. "Oh, well, you just told me the end." Tempt, tempt them into listening to the end, then. Well, let's try. Let's see if we can. Let's see if we can. Um, paint a picture of one of my favorite vehicles in the world. Okay. okay? Without giving anything away. Right, because the whole stealth and secrecy is, is all it's like part of the whole shebang man. Understood. Alright, so submarine, obviously we can we can look at the etymology of that underwater. Not that crazy. Easy enough. Easy enough. Um, however, in practice this becomes uh tremendously complicated, uh obscenely dangerous and uh, almost unbelievably cool when it works. Because we're talking about vehicles that for decades could slip undetected through the most, uh, the most heavily protected water, um, could achieve feats in naval warfare that would, like, that would be science fiction to people before uh, submarines existed. But, um, you know, look at me. I'm blathering on about that, and you're our historian today, right, Scott? <laughs> um, maybe. Maybe? Maybe. I'll blather on for a little while myself here. Did about you it. see Hunt for Red October? I did. I'm just yeah, checking. Go I on. did. Of course I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's part of the contract. Yeah. Have to. Um, I guess, you know what? You know what's, this is pretty interesting, I thought. What's that? Guess who this goes all the way back to. You, you know already. Yeah. Don't you? I can tell just by the look on your face. Go ahead and yeah. say it. <laughs> all right. 
this goes way back to um, a uh, an Italian man that you may have heard of before, uh, not Silvio Berscalini or however you pronounce his last name. Sorry, Silvio, but uh, our very own hometown favorite of car stuff, Leonardo. <laughs> Da Vinci. da Vinci. That's right. Yeah, it goes all the way back to Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he, well, of course, this is one of those ones where he sketched and it never really came to reality. Kind of like the helicopter and, you know, the parachute and right, other things the, like that. The that, car. You know, but uh, they found sketches for a submarine in his, in his books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and remember, he's around 1450, 14, or 1500, mm-hmm. early 1500s. Mm-hmm. Um, and he called it a ship to sink another ship. Which, I mean, that was really the only purpose of the submarine is, you know, why else would you want to travel underwater? It's a, it's a way to deliver a deadly blow to another ship. Right. Um, so, and actually I think he, I read somewhere and I don't have my note in front of me here, but I read somewhere that he was kind of, Upset by his own thoughts on this, like you know, he he had uh, he had sketched some other war devices, and he felt kind of I think he felt kind of guilty about them. Yeah, in yep. saying that you know why why would I want to design something that could bring harm to someone else? You know, he was mostly in it for the good and wanted to you know create stuff that you know crazy flying machines and uh, mm-hmm. you know that that was uh, uh, kind of. A moral Im- I guess an impure yeah. thought to him is to, to uh, create a ship that could sink another ship where there were men on board um, mm-hmm. at the time. So he, he felt bad about that. Now, uh, you know, same century in 1578, uh, someone named uh, William Bourne, uh, who was a British mathematician, he drew plans for another submarine, which is a little bit more modern in appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, same idea, but it was never built. Um, again, just drawn up, but again, this mathematician decided, you know, this would be a good idea still. Um, later, and this is uh, not until 1620. Uh, someone named Cornelius Van Drebbel. Good name. Distinctive huh? name. Cornelius. Yeah. Sometimes I say what the, that's what the C in my middle name stands for. Cornelius. I will totally back you up on Scott that. Cornelius Benjamin. That's classy. Or Cookie. Mm, Cornelius. Cornelius. I'm okay. Voting. Cornelius. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's a Dutch inventor, and he built a sub. He finally built uh, a sub in 1620. So this is really the first sub that was ever built um and really what it was is this is kind of funny it's picture a rowboat that's wrapped in watertight leather okay okay so it's it's encased in watertight leather and this is top and and bottom you know of course it's just completely wrapped in it um it had air tubes that went to the surface via floats so they they were held on top of the water um these these air intakes okay and he made his first trip on the Thames River with 12 oarsmen because they didn't have any kind of propulsion system. So, so they, they had, had to have underwater rowers? They had underwater rowers. They had people with uh, with oars sticking out. You know, like uh best thing I can remember is like the, you know, the slave ships that you see people yeah, rowing in. Like, uh, yeah, the galleys. Yeah, exactly. He had 12, um, you know, he had 12 men with him and they went under for three hours, which is pretty good. Which uh, they could not have been that far under the surface of the water no. if they didn't have a pump <laughs> no. mechanism. I don't think it was it, – it wasn't fully submerged, I think. I think it was just under. I don't know. As far as fully, maybe. But, you know, they've got these air tubes that go to the the, uh, yeah. the shore still. Or yeah. rather the, uh, the, the surface. Uh, the, the surface, water. yeah. Um, by the time we get to the, uh, the revolution here in 1776, uh, someone named David Bushnell uh, built something called the turtle. The toidle. Uh, the turtle. Yeah, toidle. Yeah, and uh, really, this is just a one-man wooden submarine. This looks like a—it looks like a barrel when you see it. Yeah, it almost looks like a diving bell. You've seen this, then? Yeah, yeah, we've we've seen some completely mechanical. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing uh, electrical about it, of course. Um, It looks terrifying to be in. I think I would uh, have to be paid. 
I would have to be paid to go under. Really? Yeah, yeah I think did I you, would too. The gears were grinding. I was like, yeah. for free? No. Yeah, I know. Well, it had yeah. all these hand-operated devices. I mean, hand-turned yeah. pro- propellers. Um, and, of course, the rudders and everything were, were foot-driven. He's he sitting on a wooden bench inside this thing. And mm-hmm. the reason they called it the turtle is because it looked like two turtle shells attached together. It didn't have a perfectly round shape or anything like that. Right. Um, but very, very simple design, really. And, um, I mean, complex for its time. But... In the war, it was actually viewed as something that was um, unnecessary and troublesome at the mm-hmm. time because it wasn't really that effective. I mean, they found that the design is effective to get to um, to get to the ships. That th- the idea behind this thing was to deliver explosives, attach them to a ship, and then leave. Okay. And what happened was it was able to sneak up on the ships because no one had ever seen anything like this. Um, so it did sneak up, you know, under the cover of night, that type of thing. You know, it's just maybe the, the periscope sticking up um, in an airline, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it was able to deliver the, the uh, explosives, but I guess the explosives were, were not successful. So yeah. that was why it was deemed a failure. Um, and you could imagine how, you know, terrifying that must be, sneaking up on a ship in this little uh, wooden uh, crate type thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Barrel. Yeah. Trying to attach an explosive device that must have been and then trying to get spooky. out. Yeah, and you're doing all this all at night, too. Uh, yeah, and then trying to get out on time because you had to you attach it and then get the heck out of there. You know, with this this hand driven propeller uh, mm. before the thing went off, um, had to have been terrifying. And then in the 1890s, um, really came about the first true submarines. Uh, what we would recognize as a submarine, I guess. Okay. Um, so you're talking about the you know the metal hull mm-hmm. vehicles that um, they used. Uh, they're finally able to use steam engines because, um, you know, that was being used on land as well, and so they knew the technology and that it would work. Mm-hmm. Um, so they used uh, steam engines when they were on the surface, and then when they were below the surface, they used electric motors. Electric motors? Electric motors, that's right, because that's remember we, we talked about this, yeah. they had electric cars at the time as well. So sure. um, seems like new technology, but it's not. It's old, no. old technology. Um, and at the same time, around the 1890s, that's when they started first using torpedoes. So they were able to... Project the, uh, the 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 missile, not missiles, but the well, the torpedoes. Uh, the explosives were able to shoot them towards the target. Now they had you know guidance problems and things like that to deal with, but they had tiny electric motors that drove these things, and um, you know they were relatively successful. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's the uh, around the eighteen nineties. That's when you first saw the first true submarines. Um, I don't know, boy. We can go. There's a lot of different directions. They used, they were used in World War One. Right. Yeah. Um, relatively ineffective. Not, uh, yeah. not, the technology just wasn't there yet at this and point. V- very, very dangerous. Yeah. Oh, this God. is something where we discovered the, we being the human species, not you and me. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, where, uh, we, the human species, discovered the concept of an idea and kept trying to do it, but learn, we learned through, uh, Trial and and yeah. terrible error. Unfortunately, th- this continues right through today. I yes, mean, I can absolutely. I, I mean, we can talk about that in a moment. But mm. um, you know, World War One, they just weren't that advanced. They just didn't didn't quite have the technology that they needed right. to be. You know, as stealth as they needed to be, and they were easily found. And you know, there's a lot of trouble for them. Um, they didn't have the the backup systems in place either for saving the crew. You know, if it was a go- to go down, that was it. Yeah. Um, they didn't have the way of of Evacuating. Exactly. Or, they just didn't yeah. have the, the, the same technologies available now. Um, in World War II, they had pretty much refined it to the point where they were, uh, they were in really good shape. They, they knew mm-hmm. what they were doing at this point. Um, not just us. Of course, the Germans had the, the U-boats. You know, the U-boats, exactly. And the U-boats, you know what? I'll be honest. I, I didn't know a whole lot about U-boats until I started reading about them. Um, but I 
did find out that you know they they were I mean I just didn't know the the whole background of them and that they were essentially really just a more boat could go underwater as part of a uh, a way to evade. Yes. Um, I don't know why I didn't know much about these up until this point, but I just didn't. Well, we tend to, in popular uh, stories, you know, we we tend to focus on the U-boat's stealth capabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I think the average person would probably think it was entirely a s- submarine. Well, I guess they were, they were super, you know, real powerful, real deadly machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had this ability to go underwater. It's a boat, really, that, that it works great on the surface, works so-so underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, um, I guess they were really, they were able to escape um, escape any kind of uh, confrontation because oh, they, had, sure. they had great speed on, on, yeah. on uh, the surface. Uh, of course, they were heavily armed. I mean, you know, really extremely heavily armed. They were very stealth because they could they could dive if needed to, but uh, they couldn't stand it for very long. They weren't uh, they, they just weren't as capable as the modern subs that we see now. Um, trying to think of some other uh, the uh, the benefits of them. Um, well, let's see. They were able to. Well, I guess it all goes back to that that their superpower was their speed and their evasive ability. Well, yeah, they, they were extremely maneuverable. Yeah. That's another thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, they were just a, a slippery boats. Kind I'll of a big that. deal. Slippery yeah, they boats. Were, yeah. They were a big deal at the time. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, boy, now so we're here getting, we are. Now here we're getting to what your favorite part. The we nu- are. Yes, right. Yeah, the, uh, n- the nuclear subs. Yes. Oh, man, nuclear subs. Okay, wait. I'm very excited. Okay. But before we go into that, Scott, um, People will notice with the history of these things, um, the, it's sort of a history punctuated by uh, incredible setbacks, um, human tragedy, mm-hmm. um, both when they work successfully attacking other ships and when uh, they unfortunately went down mm-hmm. with, with all the crew. And we're talking about explosions from torpedoes. We're talking about structural um I guess structural imperfections, you know, especially when you get into the higher pressure uh, underwater. Uh, deep sea dives, yeah. Yeah. So and the, you run into things like crevices and mountains and uh, mm-hmm. other ships. Other ships, yeah, yeah. or mines. Mm-hmm. So really the question that one would logically ask after this is why do we keep messing with these things? What What's the point of submarines, you know? Um, and the point of submarines, they, they have – Tremendous uh, potential for destruction. They also have tremendous potential to give information in places where even today we would have a difficult time uh, gathering information uh, via satellite or something like that. So uh, before we get to what is, again, obviously my favorite part of this podcast, um, let's talk a little bit about submarines in general work. Okay, so the mechanics of it. Yeah, just the mechanics. Sure. Just the mechanics. All right, so uh, – Pop quiz, Scott. What's the basic oh, difference between a submarine and a ship? Oh, you know ship this stays on the surface. Submarine can go. I uh, can do both. Hole in one. You win the prize, and the game show is over. Um, but here's how here's how these things can actually work. Um, and this is from our article, "How Submarines Work," which you can find on the website. Um, the way that the submarine sinks is, or the way it floats is that uh, the weight of the water it displaces is equal to the weight of the actual vessel. And so this makes a force called the buoyant force, which, of course, buoyancy means that it pushes it. Keeps you right on the surface. Keeps you right on the surface. Okay. So the submarine has to get over this buoyant force and able to submerge itself. So it has these ballast tanks, just like another ship would have, right? And then it has these uh, 
extra tanks called trim tanks. Now, these can be filled with water, air, and if you go to the article, you'll see an awesome animation. Mm-hmm. And I, Simple with valves and you know mm-hmm. the airflow and everything. Right, right, largely mechanical. Yeah. And so um, as the submarine dives, uh, the ballast tanks get flooded with water, uh, and the air that was already in the tanks is vented from the submarine until the, the vessel's density is greater than the water surrounding it. So it begins to get what we call negative buoyancy, pushing it down. So it sinks. And so they they still keep air on the submarine, of course, because people breathe, even underwater. Yeah. That's in theory, right? <laughs> not Aquaman. Right. And they <laughs> not Aquaman. Oh well. Aquaman. Yeah. That poor guy. Can you imagine being in the Justice League? Sorry, I threw that in there. He talks to fish, Scott. Yeah. That's his power. He yeah. talks to fish. Superpower. Well, he breathes underwater. All right, so submarines also, they, they control this sinking by uh, using those uh, those small wing-looking things on the body of the sub are called hydroplanes. So they control, of course, the angle of the dive. And when, the, uh, when they're underwater, they still have to adjust to make sure that they stay level, right? Because it's very... Uh, yeah, you don't want to just keep sinking. That's no good. Or right. rising, you know, sinking and... Rising, sinking, yeah, you rising. don't want to just hope that people on the surface aren't looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As yeah. you try to, yeah, good point. It'd be like me learning stick, man. You should have been there. It was, <laughs> it was a nasty afternoon. Um, but so when, so when we use this uh, this ballast technology, which is again, uh, ballast or something that you see in ships that only stay on the surface, mm-hmm. and it helps maintain the level. So we're just taking that to a further degree, and. We figured out how to do that pretty much, um, I don't want to say perfectly, but much better than any time in the past. And, and now we're at a situation where if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, people know how to build sub- submarines that can surface and sink reliably. And luckily for hundreds of people, we actually figure out how to keep folks alive while they're doing that. Right, right, because human, it's not, most important. Yeah, because yeah, I've heard, I've heard even recently, it seems like we've heard of uh, subs that stuck on the bottom and they can get messages back and forth and they just can't get to them. They're too deep. Yes. I, I know we've heard that in the past. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. So there's some bad news, you know, bad stuff that's been going on with that. Um, I, you know what? It's been a few years since I've heard anything like that happen, but um, I've also heard of some private individuals, you know, when they try to make these recreational subs. Right. Yeah. Um, I've, I remember clearly I went to a boat show in Detroit when I was young mm-hmm. and we saw a recreational sub that a guy a young startup guy was trying to uh, to develop the submarine for uh, weekend type use in the, in mm-hmm. the lakes mm-hmm. and you know of course those subs are different they have uh, big windows you know rounded windows a lot of you know viewing is what you're there for you're not right. just going underwater to serve a mission or something you want you want to go under and see around mm-hmm. so you had this um, this relatively small like a two man sub maybe three man sub and uh, it was probably wasn't more than a year later that we heard that he was killed um, in testing for this thing. Now this he's trying to terrible. trying to sell it at the boat show. We talked to him for a while, you know, mm. just kind of interested in what's going on. And then the next summer, I guess, he died in testing this thing in the lakes. So um, there's still accidents that happen. I mean, it's not you know, it's not exactly a precise science at this point. You know, right. the military does it right. Of course, they know what they're doing, but there's always something that can go wrong. So you know, they've got all these backup systems, and there's a lot of redundancy in the safety. Of these yes, things. there has to be, and we, we learned that the hard way. Yeah. So when we go, when we think of, in our article, when we think of the, the problems with life support in what's essentially a closed environment, a sealed system, until from the time it 
leaves the surface to the time it returns. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do for the people there, we have to make sure that they can breathe and that they can actually get fresh water. Let's just skip food and, and let's worry more about um, the temperature. You know what? Also, let's skip the psychological effects. Oh, yeah. I think cabin fever might be sure something for, uh, you know, not quite the scope have of you, our show. Have you ever toured a sub? Yeah. You ever been, oh, have, yeah. oh, my gosh. Are they tight? They're just Gosh. cramped, cramped, cramped hallway spaces. Yeah. after tiny hallway. I know. You're ducking the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not very tall. You have to duck all the way through every doorway, of course. And mm-hmm. a lot of times you're you know, you're know, dodging pipes and, and valves. And it's just it's really cramped quarters. And I can't imagine knowing that you're uh, you know, 10,000 yeah, feet down yeah. or whatever. Um, it's got to be unbelievable uh, just psychology that goes into something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's got to be tests for claustrophobia. Oh, yeah. I don't know how long the test would have to be, though, because, I mean, these can stay under a long, long time. Yes. And, oh, oh gosh, okay. I'm having a hard time not getting to that. Oh. All right, so riddle me this. <laughs> We're in a place where there's no new air coming in. How are we going to let people continue to breathe? Yeah, we need fresh air all the time, right? Yes. Because, uh, really, they're just going to breathe out carbon dioxide, right? Right. Luckily, uh, we have scrubbers installed in subs and what they do is they use uh, soda lime sodium hydroxide and calcium hydroxide to actually trap the carbon dioxide that's just floating around in the air mm-hmm. uh, and remove it from that air so oh, great. we have a way to clean it but and- then how do you how do you introduce new oxygen yeah yes uh, we uh, supply that either from pressurized oxygen tanks or, and get this, this is kind of space age, an oxygen generator. And that uses electrolysis of water cool. to, yeah, to create oxygen. Very cool. Yeah, but, you know, keep in mind, of course, that the air we breathe up here is mostly nitrogen, mm-hmm. like 78%, 80% nitrogen, sure. 20% oxygen. So, so are they monitoring that all the time? Are they, uh, constantly. They, they're adjusting? Constantly. Okay, cool. And, you know, keep in mind also that at these depths, you know, uh, you've heard of the bends yeah. that you can get from diving too deep unprotected. Sure, and then surfacing too fast. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So there, we also have to we also have to um, make sure that we maintain cabin pressure and uh, temperature. So the temperature around a submarine is usually like thirty nine degrees or four degrees Celsius. Scott. Oh, very good. Yeah. Very good. Every, See, that's your that's your position here. That your, was uh, it. Your conversions. Yeah. Oh gosh, I've good only work. done the one. Good work. I'm going to have a new job by the next time <laughs> I do this. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, there there are problems. In short, we're still we're still uh, addressing some of those. But uh, nuclear submarines are vital. Oh, excuse me, I spoiled it. Submarines are a very very important part of modern international affairs. Yeah, you mentioned something that I. I I was reading on this too, and uh, um, you mentioned fresh water. Yes, sir. So you're here. Here you are, ten thousand feet under the ocean. Not a drop. Not a drop drink. of water that you can drink. That's right. And how do you get fresh water down there? What? I mean, other than like carrying a, a you know a gallon of it yourself, and that's what you drink. Well, you know, we can <laughs> distill fresh water from seawater. Okay. We we can do that. Um, of course, since most people are. I think about a billion people in the world don't have access to clean water because that distillation process is just not efficient on a huge scale. Mm -hmm. But when you've got a submarine full of thirsty people who need to do important things, uh, you can use a distillation plant. It it heats the seawater to vapor, right? So that removes a lot of the salt. Mm Mm-hmm. Or it moves all the salt, I think. And, uh, yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, I would hope so. And then it cools it into a collecting tank of fresh water. So that's basically, uh, 
the age-old method of distilling. And I read how many uh, gallons that takes a day. Typical sub. This is between ten and forty thousand gallons of water a day, fresh what? water. Really? Yeah, it says ten between ten and forty thousand gallons per day is used on a submarine, uh, and that's mostly for cooling the equipment, uh, cooling, oh. cooling the engines, cooling you know, okay. anything that's going to generate heat down there. <laughs> I'm such um, a jerk. I was like, do they have a pool? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's uh, it's the, the ga- uh, ten to forty thousand gallons a wow. day. That's mostly for cooling. Mm-hmm. The other, the rest of it is used for uh, the needs of the crew. You know, like for showering and and brushing your teeth and sure. cooking. That's mm-hmm. a essential thing. So, um, yeah, that's a lot of fresh water that they need every day. I had no idea that it was on that scale. I didn't know it would be that much. Forty thousand gallons. Yeah, yeah. I guess that equipment is what ones. the equipment is probably the the main take yeah, from that surely. because. Um, you know, you can't cool something with salt water. It's just not going to work. It's going to corrode everything. It's going to be a mess. So you need fresh water to be able to do that. That's a good point. Yeah. Do you do you want to talk about power supplies? Yeah, I do actually. There's uh, I'll I'll mention one here and then I'll leave one up to you. How about that? Thanks, buddy. Diesel engines. A lot of them have diesel engines, and diesel engines are, of course, they they need air to operate. So that's uh, mm. that's a problem. They they use diesel engines on the surface. Yeah, it's a catch. Um, and when they go underneath, they use uh, use electric motors, of course. But um, really, if you want to think about it this way, submarines are like big hybrid vehicles. They've got um, they've got these in- incredible battery packs arrays that they can use while they're underneath the surface. You know, not only to, to power the electric motors, but also to power um, any of the computer systems or you know navigation systems that they have on board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, everything else, you know, the lighting for the crew, um, whatever they have on board. Um, so really, you know, it's, it's a diesel-electric um, hybrid vehicle, really. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's only only used on the surface, but they do have these massive diesel engines. Sometimes they have two of these things on board. Um, and you can imagine that, you know, those take a lot of fuel. So the problem with a diesel-powered submarine is that, you know, you're able to – they're very powerful and they're, they're you know, extremely well-built. It's just sure. you have to – you know, either going to port at some point or just uh, you find a refueling station of some kind, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether that's at sea or where, wherever it is. But you do have a, a range limitation with them. Definitely. So, so there you yeah. go. That should lead right into your next uh, topic oh. very well, shouldn't it? Oh, man, I owe you one because this is what I want to talk about. <laughs> the power supply um, has historically been a big limit limiting factor for submarines, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, where are you going to find diesel fuel in the middle of the South Pacific? I mean, right. I mean, there's islands here and there, but you know, what if you're what if you're at war? Especially you, if you're sneaking around in not, a submarine. Not you know? all that common to find a, a diesel station out in the middle of the Pacific. Right. Yeah. I don't think. I, well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they don't naturally occur. Probably not. Yeah, someone has to build it. <laughs> um, but but also, you know, during these during these missions, um, the the idea of the submarine as a stealth reconnaissance and monitoring vehicle. Um, means that the further it can go and the longer it can stay out, the more advantageous it is to have one, which is why somebody said, you know, we are losing so much in diesel and so much time, so much effort. If only there was a way, Scott, to build a submarine that ran on nuclear power. Mm, intriguing. We, yeah, which nowadays we already have them, but you have to wonder, that, would we have agreed to this in this modern age, I don't know. People, I don't know. People aren't big fans of nukes. I don't know, now. but when when uh, when did this all come about? Okay, this all happened. I can go to 1954, beginning of 1954. Uh, the good old U.S. of A. developed the Nautilus, which was the world's first nuclear-powered submarine. Came with some important differences. Uh, it 
has a practically unlimited range. It can stay underwater for much longer because it doesn't have to surface to start a diesel engine to recharge its electric batteries. Unlimited range? Unlimited range. Scott. Really? Practically unlimited. Well, what, what are you talking about? Like how, how far? Like circling the world, circumnavigating the globe four times. Really? Stuff like that, yeah. And they don't have to refuel ever. They're ever. designed to, the nuclear reactor there will power it for 25 years without refueling. 25 years? In theory. So this thing can go 25 years without, uh, without a, a refuel or recharge yeah, or whatever only, you want to call it. Only drawback at this point, the only reason it's going to the surface is because the crewmen are human. And so. they're aging. And they're aging and they're hungry yeah, and they sure. want to see their Like family, when they went right? underwater, they're 25 years old, they come up, they're 50. Oh, God. <laughs> no, nothing like that, right? I hope not. No, yeah. no, I wouldn't think so. They'd be an awful long mission. Yeah. And, I mean, we're like, wow. That's got to be, that's a serious vehicle you're doing there. And, uh, you know, I can only imagine what it must be like to be working on a nuclear submarine. But because these things, because these things basically have superpowers, they can go forever they they can stay out, you know. They're uh, they're military might without a curfew, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so, that sounds pretty good. That's pretty good. Thanks, man. Um, so <laughs> we worked on that military earlier. might without a curfew. Yeah, I don't know. No, I like it. Yeah, maybe yeah. we're in the wrong line of work. Maybe we should sell jingles. Maybe for uh, that. But um, so because they could go so far for so long, they pretty much changed naval strategy. I won't say entirely. But change the game. New chapter. Um, submarines before, Scott, they were just coastal defense. You know, you had to go refuel the diesel. Sure. But these can travel the globe. Um, shortly after their invention, we had a Nautilus reach the uh, the North Pole in 1958. Um, even after that, we, we still kept them. Now, of course... We still kept them in service, excuse me. Now, of course, we still have nuclear submarines just because they're so good at what they're designed to do, mm-hmm. but they also have a nuclear reactor, which means they have, we have had some trouble with those. Um, you know, in the very beginning, a lot of people don't know this, nuclear reactors were just dropped in the ocean when they were done. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. You know, we also have uh, aircraft carriers that are powered by the same devices. We do. And uh, so yeah. it's, it's a, it's, Definitely a, uh, a the military's latched onto this as uh, as far as power options, mm-hmm. um, and with good reason. I mean, it, apparently it makes complete sense. I mean, imagine having to <laughs> stop an aircraft carrier to f- fuel up, mm-hmm. um, it, rather than uh, being able to to go twenty five years without refueling. That's uh, it's quite a benefit. Yeah, and uh, the governments of uh, the world governments at the time definitely recognized it because we saw billions upon. Uh, Billions upon millions, maybe dollars, uh, <laughs> piled into uh, or poured into submarine uh, research, technology, and fabrication. Uh, the heyday of submarines, really, when when we start seeing a lot of breakthroughs in heavy building, uh, happens during the Cold War, because uh, the U.S. and the Soviet uh, burgeoning conflict there um, went across the world so you can't beat a machine that can take you which, whichever side you're on you mm-hmm. can't beat a machine that can take you out there and so they did deterrence patrols which is just sort of showing showing your making your presence known you know uh hunting other submarines and then of course the very vague special operations which oh, maybe good. is for a different podcast sure um so now we have where are we now we got six nations that have nuclear subs we've got russia India, France, China, the United Kingdom, 
and of course, our favorite hometown in the globe, the United States. Very good. Six nations with it, huh? Six nations. There are some other. There are some other guys trying to be the new kid on the block. Brazil and Pakistan are working up some ideas. Really? Okay. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah, and you know we've got a uh, we've got a really great article that I want to recommend on the site for anyone interested, which is do we still need nuclear submarines? Oh. Good. And I, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't look into that one. I just saw the uh, the house subs work and did some other, you know, outside research. But that's it, uh, it's an interesting question. You want to give it away? Uh, <laughs> give me the answer. Okay, I, after I'll the podcast. Okay, after, maybe after the yeah, podcast. Just just tell me the answer. Uh, all right, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the answer after the podcast. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, but real quick though, people are probably saying, "Hey, you guys are ripping us off. You're glossing over this nuclear reactor and submarine deal." Yeah. Sounds like you just made it up. Can't blame them. <laughs> it does sound kind of kind of sci-fi. Yeah, sure. But um, a nuclear reactor in these submarines is basically it's like a steam engine. It's uh, it's got a casing that weighs a hundred tons. It's got an alloy that protects the the radiation or protects the crew members rather from the radiation. Sure. Yeah. Um, and when the heat from this drives the turbine turbine excuse me sure then it powers the vehicle but so it's a steam powered it's steam powered uh uh-huh, with radiation did i that's unbelievable so it says a steam powered underwater i mean really it's running off of steam power really or is that right no well, the nuke the nuclear the nuke fuel is producing the 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 nuke is producing the heat and energy which produces the steam which turns the turbine cool. so very turbine. cool is that a potato potato thing i think so turbine yeah turbine. sure I'm Porsche, just going to Porsche. Por- <laughs> no, that one guy had me on Porsche. <laughs> he got me on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so of course these things come armed with a lot of a lot of weapons. Um, uh, ballist- polar- Polaris ballistic missiles, Tomahawk cruise missiles, uh, Trident missiles, the Poseidon. Um, these have all been on the. Uh, um, all been on our nuclear subs at some point. The U.S. has four generations of nuclear subs, um, and we are, we being the U.S., we're using them uh, pretty well, so or pretty regularly. So you can't buy one. You can't buy one. I checked. Oh, you did. You looked into it because can't you, buy one legally. You know what? You've been pretty excited about this since you started looking in from up in the information last week. I think right. You were. Uh, you said this is kind of your new favorite vehicle. Yeah, definitely, man. Between that and aircraft carriers, um, yeah, and flying cars. Yes, Scott, you'd rather have this. Cars. You'd rather have a, uh, a nuclear sub than a yeah nuclear sub or a um, or a flying car. Which one would you rather have? Nuclear sub, absolutely, really? no contest okay. whatsoever. Yeah, sure. Really? Do you, I? I can't believe you asked. Oh, you, well, you don't know me. Tough that to well. park those things. <laughs> I wouldn't park it, man. I would yeah. just drive around. It never runs out of gas. You never see anything. Sure, they, I would. Do they even have windows? They've got a periscope. They have... You could surface, I guess. radar imaging. Walk around on the deck. I would see all kinds of dots, you know? Just walk around on the deck and hope it doesn't go under for some reason. They also receive satellite feeds. Oh, yeah. So I'd probably have cable. Yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah, cable. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have cable. <laughs> satellite something. I could see that, yeah. Um, maybe not the best vacation spot. <laughs> so, okay, a question yeah. for you. Question. I mean, am I cutting short here? No, you no, more? please, please. I got a question. Me. Okay, so I think I know the answer to this one. But would you would you travel on a nuclear sub? Would you would you find this uh, a comfortable way to to get around? I mean, I know. Let's say you're not in the military. Let's just say you, you're going to take a trip. Just hanging. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, just one trip. Let's say you're okay. going to go head down to uh, I don't know Australia. All right. Uh, would you take a submarine 
from you know the western coast of the United States to let's say Australia? You know, if I and I'll ask you the same question, I'll ask your opinion too, and say yeah, I would uh, probably not want to. Well, because really? yeah, because I'd be in a very crowded situation with uh, a lot of people. It takes a lot of people to run a machine this complex. Yeah. You know, it's not like. Yeah, it's like mean just hopping in. It's like forty some people just to just to keep the thing running, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. And I I, I don't know if I want to do that because being on the ocean like that, taking a trip from the states to Australia, uh, part of it is being able to see above the surface. So I, you know what, man, and I I mean this with no disrespect. These are serious machines. These are made. Um, these are not made for people like me to take jaunts no, of about course in the not. ocean. No, and they're, of course they're, not. They're, they're, they're serious people doing. They're war machines. Yeah, they're war machines. They're yeah. weapons of war. Yeah, so. a ship to sink another ship. Mm-hmm. Um, me? Yeah. What about you? No. No. No, I wouldn't go on one. Um, now, I'm, I'm not terribly claustrophobic. I don't have a problem in elevators or anything like that. Mm. Um, but I, I think that being underwater for a, a long period of time like that, that would probably get to me. Yeah, I, um, see that. I, I think after a while it would. Right at first, I'd be all right, but I think once you start thinking about what's all around you and the pressures involved, and mm-hmm. uh, just not being able to see where you are at any point, and know that you're heading forward at <laughs> certain speed, and you know they're, they're. I mean, I know that they've got you know um, very advanced sonar. Sure, um, they're able to tell where they're where they are exactly, but um, pretty much they're flying blind, aren't they? Um, I mean, I'm sure there are pretty some servicemen much. who would totally disagree. No, with I, this, I know that. I, I if understand. If everything breaks, then yes, I, I understand. You're not you're not looking at a window steering the thing, though. Is right. what I'm saying. Yeah, you're you, exactly I mean, right. there are there obviously there are ways to track where they are exactly. I think that, that I, the notes I saw uh, I saw I rather say they're accurate within a hundred feet, which is. Which is spooky. Pretty That's amazing crazy. because what they do is when they're on the surface, they sync up with GPS so they know where they are. Then mm-hmm. once they submerge, um, I think it's, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the, the system. Um, oh, shoot. I can't come up with it right now. But there's a okay. system that, that indicates where they are in the world at mm-hmm. that point. And it uses, sometimes it uses known, um, oh, here it is. It's called inertial guidance systems, which is an electrical mechanical device that, um, it tracks, where the ship is via via gyroscopes, so it's able to, to give you the starting point. You know that's locked in with GPS, and then yeah. it, it detects which which direction, which speeds you're heading, to tell you where you are on the planet at that point, and your depth, and your I mean, every well, depth of course is something different, but where you are exactly on the planet. So, that's so cool. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And they said within a hundred feet, they're able to do this. Now they have to resync. This thing every 150 hours or so, they have to surface and resync mm-hmm. so that they know exactly where they are. Because um, after that point, it becomes a little bit less accurate. But um, it's it's an amazing system. I know that they can they can navigate very well, but I still would feel a bit uncomfortable doing this. You know, Scott, I'm sorry, man. I made this podcast run really long because I was so excited about. Yeah, a bunch things. of listeners were saying the same thing. I heard them. I, was that who was out no, there? I'm How kidding. did you guys find the studio? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. I, you know what? I thought it was pretty interesting. I, I, I think it's pretty interesting too. Hopefully, uh, folks who know about uh, our name change from high speed stuff to mm-hmm. car stuff will realize that we're still, you guys, we're still covering motorcycles, yeah. submersibles. I know. Uh, the name, a little bit deceptive in that, you know, it says car stuff. That we're not just covering car stuff. It's going to be everything. I mean, we're, we're talking about subs right now. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Meatball I'm sub. I'm kind of hungry. Can my you favorite my is My favorite is meatball with uh, like a provolone cheese or something like oh, that. Oh, man, we got to get out of here. So that's perfect. I'm, I'm starving. Um 
But as always, we hope you guys enjoyed our uh, overview of the history of submarines, a little bit how they, about how they work and why we still persist in using them. Uh, please check out the website for more information. Check out our Facebook. Check out our Twitter. What am I missing, Scott? Blog. Check out our blog. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you would like to write to us, we, I'd love to hear about somebody uh, who served on submarine. Oh, and yes, one. yes. Because we're, yeah. we're doing this all from just, you know, reading, and we've got our own uh, idea of this thing just from what we've picked up, you know, do, doing some research. But mm-hmm. um, someone who's actually been on board one, I'd love to hear from them. Yeah. And uh, let's real quick ask our guest producer, Liz Headnot, yes or no, would you go on a submarine? Okay, we got the affirmative. So that's she would. two no's and one yes. She would, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, so what about you guys? Tell us what you think. Send us an email at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug All needed. Right, let's go. But we also have plug-in hybrids if that's your thing. <laughs> you can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com/beyondzero. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.